Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today is Monday, July 4th, 2022. Happy Independence Day to everybody who is listening. Although it would seem from talking to most people that they don't have a really good idea about what it was that led to the 13 colonies of Great Britain declaring their independence from their own country 246 years ago. And I thought I would just spend a couple of minutes today talking about exactly that, the reasons for the separation, which I covered in my 2015 book, Where Do Conservatives and Liberals Come From? Now, most of that book was really about the philosophical background of the different political worldviews, namely conservatism, liberalism, and libertarianism, which are three distinct ways of looking at the world, three distinct ways of seeing human nature, three distinct ways of seeing what life would be like in the so-called state of nature or the state without government, and the three distinct then purposes of government. What is the problem with that state of nature that government is trying to solve, at least in the minds of people who constitute governments? So if you haven't read the book, then I encourage you to do so. I've also put my first online course based on the book up on Patreon. So if you're a VIP member at my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can get access to the first course, which is where do conservatives come from? There will eventually be three covering liberals and the founding fathers. But in the last chapter of the book, which is only part one and part two will be written someday to cover the 20th century and beyond. But in the last part of the book, I do a review of American history, mostly in the late 18th and throughout the 19th centuries, that kind of shows how the ideas behind the three different political worldviews affected American history. 
And I do have a section on the American Revolution, and I thought I'd just read you a few pages out of that section and make a few comments. So this starts on page 117 of the paperback, and it begins, Today, most Americans have no idea why their ancestors decided to secede from the British Empire. We're generally taught the whole conflict erupted over taxation without representation. The British imposed taxes on the colonists without giving them representation in the British Parliament, and the colonists refused to comply. King George III sent troops to enforce the taxes, and the American Revolution began. Now, this hardly tells the whole story. While they did object to being taxed by a body they weren't represented in, the American colonists had no desire to be represented in the British Parliament. They made this explicit in the Declaration of Rights and Grievances of 1774. And now the book quotes from that document. That it is inseparably essential to the freedom of a people and the undoubted right of Englishmen that no taxes be imposed upon them, but with their own consent given personally or by their representatives. That the people of these colonies are not and from their local circumstances cannot be represented in the House of Commons in Great Britain, that the only representatives of the people of these colonies are persons chosen therein by themselves, and that no taxes have been or ever can be constitutionally imposed on them but by their respective legislatures, that all supplies to the crown, being the free gifts of the people, it is unreasonable and inconsistent with the principles and spirit of the British Constitution for the people of Great Britain to grant His Majesty the property of the colonists. The influence of Locke is explicit in the passage above with the emphasis on property and the rejection of the idea that a simple majority vote legitimized the government's authority to tax the people. Locke's influence is even more explicit in Samuel Adams' 1772 Rights of the Colonists, and here we're quoting from that document. In short, it is the greatest absurdity to suppose it in the power of one or any number of men at the entering into society to renounce their essential natural rights or the means of preserving those rights when the grand end of civil government from the very nature of its institution is for the support, protection, and defense of those very rights, the principle of which, as is before observed, are life, liberty, and property. If men through fear, fraud, or mistake should in terms renounce or give up any essential natural right, the eternal law of reason and the grand end of society would absolutely vacate such renunciation. The right to freedom being the gift of God Almighty it is not in the power of man to alienate this gift and voluntarily become a slave. And now this is just myself writing. Notice the similarities between this passage and the following passage in Locke's second treatise. Thirdly, the supreme power cannot take from any man part of his property without his own consent, for the preservation of property being the end of government and that for which men enter into society, 
It necessarily supposes and requires that the people should have property without which they must be supposed to lose that by entering society, which was the end for which they entered it, too gross an absurdity for any man to own. And here's me writing again. In today's vernacular, one might say Adams was channeling Locke in this piece. For Adams, the rights of life, liberty, and property are inalienable. Considering Locke combined life, liberty, and justly acquired possessions into the general name property, Adams is virtually quoting Locke directly. Adams also draws an important clarification on inalienability from Locke. Not only can no human being or group of human beings take away the individual's natural rights, including by majority vote, but an individual cannot even surrender his own natural rights. So Adams provides yet another answer to why that's why we have elections. No, says Adams, that's not why we have them at all. And that refers to something that I had said earlier in the book that I won't go into, but it basically says that elections are only to determine who exercises the power, not what power that they're authorized to exercise. So I'll pick up from the book again on page 119. Regarding taxes, since the purpose of government is to preserve the natural rights, the government's power to tax is limited to collecting what is necessary to defend those rights. The government has no legitimate authority to collect taxes and spend the money for other purposes, especially to benefit people other than those taxed. While he's responding to the conservative British mercantilist system, the principle applies equally to liberal wealth redistribution. The British Empire in the 1770s was quintessential conservatism, much closer to Hobbes than Burke, and you'll have to read the book or take my course to understand the distinction within conservatism between Hobbesian and Burkean. But again, back to the book. The reason behind Parliament's claim that it could legislate for the colonies, even if the colonies were not represented, is straight out of Hobbes. And this is from Leviathan. The Romans, who had the sovereignty of many provinces, yet governed them always by presidents and praetors, not by assemblies, as they governed the city of Rome and territories adjacent. In like manner, when there were colonies sent from England to plant Virginia and Summer Islands, though the government of them here were committed to assemblies in London, yet did those assemblies never commit the government under them to any assembly there, but to did to each plantation send one governor. For though every man where he can be present by nature desires to participate of government, yet where they cannot be present, they are by nature also inclined to commit the government of their common interest rather to a monarchical than a popular form of government. Let's take a short break for this important message. If you're enjoying the content here at Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, please check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. You can become a supporter of the show at any level you wish, starting at just $3 per month. All members get machine transcripts of all podcasts and access to my members-only MeWe group. 
If you're an all-access patron, you'll also get special member-only content, including exclusive blog posts and videos. And VIP patrons receive access to all my online courses and a free signed copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. So again, check it out at patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Become a supporter of the show today. And now let's get back to our episode. Remember that Hobbes is writing this in 1651, or at least between 1651 and 1660, depending on which edition. And at that point, there are already English colonies. So he's writing directly about the colonies, which about 120 years later would declare their independence. So let me pick up the book right after that quote. Hobbes remains consistent here with his indivisibility plank. Since the sovereign power cannot be divided, there is certainly no room for local legislatures in colonies making their own laws. Any assembly under the jurisdiction of the sovereign must merely advance the wishes of the sovereign, so the royally appointed governors are a much more efficient and secure way of seeing that the sovereign power is not compromised. Here was a conflict between British Hobbesian conservatism and American Lockean libertarianism and the way those ideas apply when the rubber hits the road in the real world. The separation from Great Britain was inevitable. You cannot have inalienable rights to life, liberty, and property and Hobbesian conservatism at the same time. The colonists' objections were economic as well as political. They not only objected to what they saw as unconstitutional taxes and legislation, but also the economic motivation behind them. The colonists opposed the entire British mercantilist economic system, which sought to enrich the government and connected business interests at the colonists' expense. Since all nations respond in kind to tariffs in a mercantilist system, the tariffs eventually cancel themselves out. Great Britain had no such problem with her colonies, since she now claimed the authority to make laws and levy taxes on them, colonies represented an opportunity for the British government to practice a purely one-sided form of mercantilism, where they could maneuver the colonies into buying purely British exports, regardless of the relative competitiveness of their prices. This is incompatible with the colonist Lockean view of inalienable rights to dispose of his person and possession as he sees fit. It also provoked Burkean conservatives who argued that they retain their prescriptive English liberties violated by the innovative new taxes. Following classic mercantilist policy, the British granted a monopoly on importing tea to the East India Tea Company. Outright monopolies were the original method for creating the small group of privately held corporations that comprise the economic aristocracy in the mercantilist system. They are dependent upon government privilege to maintain their position and reciprocally loyal to the government because of that dependency. 
This is the backdrop for the real story behind the Boston Tea Party. Rather than merely a protest against taxes levied without representation, the destruction of the tea was a reaction to repeated efforts by Parliament to control the colonial economy. In mercantilist fashion, Parliament had granted the East India Company a monopoly on importing tea into England. It paid a tax upon importation and then sold the tea to the public through resellers. It was not allowed to sell the tea retail. By the time of the 1773 Tea Act, early controversies over taxation had already raged and subsided. The Tea Act did not impose new taxes on the colonies. Rather, it left an already existing tax on tea in place, but gave the East India Company two advantages. First, it reinstituted a refund of the import taxes the company paid in England. Second, it allowed the company to sell direct to the colonies instead of having to export through resellers. The company would now sell direct to consignees in the colonies, hand-picked by the government. This threatened both the legitimate, in quotes, colonial tea importers and also smugglers of Dutch tea, as the tax-subsidized East India Company could now undercut them both. The colonists saw this as an attempt to bring the colonies under complete economic control. The British government was using its taxing power to eliminate all competition for its crony capitalist importer. If successful, there was no reason to believe Parliament wouldn't follow suit with other goods the colonists imported, They foresaw a future where the British realized the mercantilist goal of completely controlling the colonial economy, benefiting the government and its connected business interests at colonial expense. None of this struck the British as oppressive or even objectionable. In the conservative worldview, private property is a privilege granted by the government for the benefit of the commonwealth. The colonists should have been pleased with the great wealth the sovereign allowed them to keep and equally pleased that they could serve the empire by participating in its mercantilist system. There was only one problem. The colonists didn't see it that way. They saw it as Locke did that the government's sole reason for existence was to preserve their property as individuals. This was the true root of the conflict. Great Britain's central bank, the Bank of England, also played a part in the dispute. During the Seven Years' War, the colonies had issued bills of credit, which were paper currencies not backed by gold or any other commodity, in order to help finance military expenses. As these paper notes circulated in the economy, they competed with the British pound sterling. As they were fiat currencies that were issued in greater volume than was eventually collected in taxes, their value tended to depreciate, harming British merchants who accepted them as payments. As a result, the British passed laws in 1751 and 1764 restricting the ability of the colonies to issue their own currency. In fact, the British currency was actually more stable than the American currency, but that was not at issue. The British were now imposing their central bank's currency, which likewise represented an arbitrary power over the colonists in terms of controlling the value of the money that the colonists were forced to use. 
As William Graham Summer observed, in 1763, Parliament declared any colonial acts for issuing paper money void. Franklin wrote a pamphlet in opposition to this act. He said that gold and silver owe their value chiefly to the estimation in which they happen to be among the generality of nations and the credit given to the opinion that they will continue to be so held. Ironically, the British were doing the colonists a favor in overriding their desire to circulate paper currency. The colonists would later learn that the hard way with the continental dollar. But the Hobbesian tendency to centralize banking and the libertarian and constitutional conservative insistence on local control of the currency will be another recurring theme in American history. Burkean conservatives joined libertarians in opposing the British on constitutional grounds. For example, the tea tax had a constitutional aspect to it as well. In addition to advancing British mercantilism, the tea tax also underwrote the salaries of colonial judges, which rankled. There was a larger constitutional issue. The colonies recognized George III as their king, but believed the British Parliament had no legitimate power to legislate for the colonies outside of a very limited area. Foreshadowing their later attempt to construct a federal government, the colonists believed that they retained most authority to govern and tax themselves. This idea that the central government should be limited and the bulk of the political power concentrated locally would also loom large throughout American history. So it was much more than taxation without representation that led to the American Revolution. It was a fundamental philosophical difference between the colonists and the mother country about the relationship of the government to the governed and about the purpose of government. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. We help each other when we don't mean to. That's what we call the invisible hand. Something no politician understands. Just leave it up. The colonists believed that the government existed only to protect their rights and therefore could never violate them for the purposes of achieving collective goals. The government of Great Britain believed that the colonies were her property, which existed only to help the government achieve collective goals. 
representation in the British Parliament would not have resolved this dispute. By 1776, the people of America were united as they would not be again at any time in their history. Following the anonymous publication of Common Sense by Thomas Paine, the 13 colonies were resolved to one common purpose, to win their independence from Great Britain. The dominant philosophy was Locke's. The preamble to the Declaration succinctly captured Locke's ideas about the self-evident equality of all mankind, the resulting existence of inalienable rights, and the government's sole purpose in securing these rights. It paraphrases Locke in asserting that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Implicit in these ideas is that whenever government, which is the societal use of force, undertakes anything other than protection of the inalienable rights, it must thereby violate those rights. The use of force for anything other than defense constitutes aggression. Such government action amounts to a violation of those rights it exists to protect. Conservatives also supported the revolution, but for different reasons. For them, it was the king's sudden departure from long-established legal traditions and the resulting violation of prescriptive rights. Jefferson's summary view had made both arguments, with the conservative argument for the colonists' rights as Englishmen more prevalent in that document, but the Declaration lays the foundation for revolution on a purely libertarian foundation. The Declaration goes on to list the various ways in which King George III of England had failed to fulfill the purpose of government, the securing of natural rights. By violating those rights instead of securing them, he had become a tyrant, giving the colonists just cause to revoke his authority and set up their own government. So I hope that passage sheds a little light on the American Revolution and the reasons that the colonists felt that 246 years ago today, they would have to declare their independence from their own country and attempt to set up a government which would better secure the rights they believe they had endowed by their creator. So let's leave it there today. Again, I wish everybody a happy July 4th. Hope you're doing something fun. And I'll see you on Wednesday for another episode. We're coming up on the 100th episode of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. This is episode 93. Don't forget to leave a comment or drop me an email with your suggestion for the 100th episode. Still kind of percolating on what I might want to do to celebrate this auspicious occasion. And if you haven't already, don't forget to check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Lots of additional content there for paid subscribers. And as always, if you like the music that you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.